Hi, everyone. It's Jen DeWall. On this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, we are talking about how to adapt and lead when things get off track. Because let's be honest, the world that we live in today has a lot of disruption and things often sound better in our head and they look different in reality. They're more likely to get off track and we have to build our own resilience to be able to say, no matter what obstacle or challenge we face, we can figure this out. And that's where I'm excited to introduce you to Jason Chen, today's guest. Jason is a resilience expert and executive coach who works with unconventional leaders and organizations that want to chart a course through change and swing big at work that matters. As a three-time founder, former NCAA athlete, and product leader at companies like Facebook and Etsy, Jason knows the challenge of leading in competitive and rapidly changing environments. His latest book is called The Path to Pivot, how startup founders can reboot their business and get a second chance at breakout success. And that's what we're going for. We're going for the second chances, how we can reboot ourselves, the work that we do, so we can adapt and lead when things get off track. Enjoy our conversation. Hello, hello, everyone. I am so excited to talk about a resilient topic because setbacks are a natural part of life. Yet as humans, we don't necessarily like planning for the setbacks because it's just not fun. I'd rather visualize success. But we know that if we want to be successful in any of our endeavors in life, we have to plan and learn how to adapt and lead when things get off track. And Jason, I am so glad that you are on the show today to help share with us from your experience on what people can do because adversity happens, obstacles happen, setbacks happen. And that does not mean to give up. That means that you maybe need to adapt and find a new approach. So Jason, before we dive into our topic today, would you go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience? Absolutely. And Jen, it is so exciting to be on the show. Um, I am an executive coach. I'm an author and a speaker on the topic of resilience. And I'm based in Brooklyn. So I live here in New York City. I grew up in New England, spent some time in California. So I've kind of been all over. And of course, I was born in China. So that immigrant hustle still got that in me. And it's a part of the journey that I've been on. So really happy to spend some time uh, with you and and your audience today um, to talk about resilience and pivoting. Yeah, well, we're going to talk about your new book that you'll be releasing soon. It will be released right around this t- the time the podcast drops, The Path to Pivot. Uh, tell me a little bit more about what your book and who you wrote it for. Yeah, so The Path to Pivot is a playbook for startup founders who've raised venture capital money, who have hit maybe a wall or a sort of difficult time in their business, and they're wondering what they should do. And so one of the big things that come up for entrepreneurs in this situation is whether you grit, pivot, or quit, right? And grit is all about sticking with it, pushing through. And it's it's that thing that we sort of hear all the time, you know, winners never quit. Pivoting is what I think a lot of entrepreneurs should do, because sometimes just running your head into a wall isn't going to work out. Um, and then quitting is that four-letter word that we're all super scared of and sometimes can be the right move as well to get you to that other side of your next endeavor because this one just isn't it. 
Repeat those three for me again. So it's to quit is obviously the last one to pivot. And then what was the first one? Grit. 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 Like stick it out. Yeah. To, uh, to keep it going. I think that, you know, burnout is obviously something that is extremely high across the world right now. And so I think it's easy that people are finding themselves with that decision. Do I keep it going? Do I adapt? Do I just give up? And I guess in terms of the quit, like I do want to emphasize that quitting is sometimes one of the best things that you can actually probably do from my perspective. You can't always stick with it. Sometimes there are signs and it doesn't mean to keep using that grit to get through. And I maybe I'm not sure why I thought the need to say that, but I think sometimes we stick with things because we feel like we made promises to others that we were going to do this. We don't want to adjust because it might mean we're a failure when sometimes quitting is actually the best thing. But in terms of, you know, what do people tend to do when things get tough? Because I know speaking for myself, when things get tough, when I feel that business isn't happening or the things that I wanted to happen aren't happening. The first thing I do is I just want to give up, walk away and take the easy way out because I don't want to deal with that pain and shame of feeling like a failure. But from your perspective, what do you see people tend to do when things get tough? Yeah, I'll be honest. I see one of two responses that yours is one of them, right? Which is like, hey, I kind of got into this because I thought this would be easier or like take me somewhere great. And I don't know if I'm getting somewhere great. So maybe this isn't, this is a sign that it's not right. And I should stop. And then the other is the over lean in on like, I don't care what it is. I don't care what you throw at me, I'm going to keep going, I'm going to keep surviving. And I'm going to try to truck along, maybe not towards somewhere good, but like just keep moving. And there are times and places when that really is the right move. But for a lot of folks, the, there's a middle place, right? Sometimes quitting, like you said, is the right choice and we should talk about that. But to pivot is to say, there are certain things about what I'm doing that is working and there are certain things that are not working. And we don't have to lump it all together and say, well, it's all not working. Um, or to say like, I'm just gonna figure out the things that aren't working and just make them work. If I just keep doing it long enough, it'll just magically work, right? It doesn't just happen like that. Things have to evolve. You have to learn, right? And so going from I'm, I'm quitting, or I'm giving up, or I'm, you know, changing what I'm doing, to I'm learning, and I'm adapting, is is one of the reframes that we can have around this effort. What I see a lot of entrepreneurs do is that they try to stick it out too long, and they will change. But by the time they change, it's like, kind of too late, they don't have a lot of time left, right? Because they've raised venture capital money, which is expecting a huge return. And you've hired people and you've got a certain amount of money that you're working with. And at some point you go, "Uh Oh, we only got a maybe a couple of months left. And this really isn't working like quick, do something extremely different. Right. And when you do that, you're you're under a lot of pressure, you're under a lot of stress, a lot of strain. So while they got to the idea of like, I should change, it's almost too late. And it's a really panicked, chaotic shift and which works less well. What the book tries to explain is approach that lets you start to make that change earlier in the process. So you have more time to actually work through the problems that are inevitably going to come up in the pivot to get to a, a stable and a, and a better outcome. And it involves lowering the stakes. So the key is to lower the stakes. And we lower the stakes by saying, you know what, we're going to dedicate a certain amount of time 
to explore some new directions. We're going to put our current business in what I call maintenance mode. I, I work with a lot of software, you know, software companies, and this idea of putting software in maintenance mode means you fix the bugs. You know, if any critical issues are coming up, you keep you know doing what you need to do to to keep the system operational. But maybe you turn off any big marketing campaigns. Maybe you turn off any new customers if you're onboarding. It takes a whole bunch of effort, but you keep the ones you have. You don't fire them. You deal with the support that comes up and then you just sort of leave it alone. And then you spend the rest of your energy in this expiration period, but you do it for a limited amount of time. It's kind of like if you were thinking about moving to another state or another country, you might book a four week trip there first, right? You kind of like see what it's like to live. You don't sell your house immediately and then just, you know, move over. You spend some time in that other place, get used to it, get comfortable with it. And then you come back to your old house and you think, you know what, this place isn't so bad after all. I think if we just made a couple of changes, we could like really like living here. Or you might say, oh, I hate it. Now that I've experienced that, I can't imagine going back here. And then you can, you know, sell it with full peace of mind. And I think that's the approach that I advocate in the book. Yeah, no, and I love that. And I hear that even for leaders that might have a strategy that they've invested right now. People are likely planning for their next fiscal or annual year. And, but they might also be finding themselves trying to hit the strategic goals from their current year and they're missing the mark and it's not working. And I've definitely seen it many times. We're in panic mode. Sales aren't where they thought they would be. Let's try and do something brand new. Let's throw paint at a wall. We're not even slowing down to think. And we're making decisions from this place of stress, that fight, flight, freeze. And that's what I kind of heard you say in terms of what people tend to do wrong. But I love that solution of really coming back and taking that, I don't know why I'm going to say pregnant pause, but like pause to lower the stakes, to really set what are the things that we can maybe stop for right now? How can we realistically course correct instead of just throwing money at the problem? What impact do you see from people kind of making those panicked decisions and, and not slowing down or not even taking the time to adapt? What impact do you see to the individuals themselves, to the organization? What's the impact of not actually adapting to the less than ideal situation they're going through? Well, you know, I think when you don't take that time to think and you're just sort of pushing through, you end up in a state of lack of trust, right? Uh, a lack of, of compassion and empathy because you feel like, you know, not I don't feel like what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing match up. So there's some concerns there. And now I don't feel like I can talk about it because no one else is talking about it. So then you feel disconnected from, you know, your coworkers from your, your actual day-to-day -day work because you're like, what is even the point of this? I don't even see how this is going to, we're, we're deviating so much and so far that the gap seems almost insurmountable. And then that creates a, you know, a, a disengagement. And now you're just like, why, why try hard? Because there's no way we're going to meet that goal. So why even spend the time to kind of do something when no one's talking about what's going on in real life? Um, so that's a big concern. And, you know, I think that, that what I heard you kind of allude to is sort of like, what, what causes leaders to do this? And how do we sort of prevent that? And to me, it's it's a simple word that has uh, so much baked into it, and it's courage. Courage is one of the most important qualities of leaders, and I think most leaders would consider themselves courageous individuals. We talk a lot about confidence. Confidence is a feeling. Confidence is, I feel confident. 
you know, I'm going to appear confident when I'm on stage. Courage is about having the willingness to do the right thing, the important thing, even when it may feel bad, it may feel scary, you may experience, you know, embarrassment or humiliation, but doing it anyway, right? So that conversation that people are often unwilling to have, you talked about leadership uh, strategies and, and corporate strategies and saying, hey, we set this out. And people don't want to admit that they made a mistake, right? They want to pretend like if I just don't talk about it and we just kind of keep going, somehow I'll look better later than if I say, you know what, we're, we're, we're kind of off track with this and it's not clear that we're going to get back on track by the end of the year. Let's talk about what we should be doing to revisit this. And the leaders that I've worked with and you know the entrepreneurs that I've worked with and even in my time at like Facebook and Meta, the, the best leaders would be willing to make that pause, make that statement and sort of reset uh, the goals. And, and that courage is what allows for a pivot to happen. Yeah. And I mean, I just hear that fear, right? We're afraid to talk about it. We're afraid of the judgment or admitting that we were wrong. And I don't even know if this is relevant, but a joke that I saw on TikTok this week is there are three things that are hard for humans to say. <laughs> I was wrong. I am sorry. And Worcester's Worcester sauce, whatever that is. <laughs> <laughs> Not my joke, but it's true. It's hard to admit that we are wrong. Hi everyone, it's Jen. And I'm just coming to you because we need your help. Presscom International, the organization that hosts the Leadership Habit podcast that I proudly work for, is looking to expand their network of people that are committed to creating more ethical, engaging, and human leaders. Now, how is that relevant to you? Well, we're looking for referrals. Do you know someone that is interested in giving back and being an entrepreneur and owning their own business or that wants to make a difference and is passionate about leadership development? Well, I'm excited to share with you that Crestcom has just launched a referral program. If you know someone, maybe it's a past mentor or a boss that's interested in making a career change and wanting to leverage the knowledge and their experience in the classroom, send them our way. We have this new program and here's the scoop. We've designed an easy to use referral form available on crestcom.com forward slash referrals. And you can visit the site, submit your referrals and access all of the rules along with required terms and conditions. Here's the sweet spot of this. If you refer a successful candidate, we'll give you $2,500. Now we want to expand and make our mission even greater, but we can't do that without your help. So if you know someone that would be interested in becoming a franchisee for an amazing leadership development organization that wants to get into the classroom and make a difference, head on over to crestcom.com forward slash referrals today and help us impact your workplaces and the leaders that you work with. Here's the only caveat. Please note that this program is currently open to applicants based in the United States only. But you talked about trust and I've seen it so many times. I breathe through it so many times. The change fatigue is real when we don't actually stop to slow down and be intentional. Like it's so easy to become disenchanted and to go into self-preservation and think, why bother? If I'm thinking as an employee, why bother if you're not even sure what you're trying to do anymore? Why bother if it feels like I'm working so many hours and I don't even know what the impact will be? 
Yeah. You know, I, I love that. But then having the courage to talk about the failure, having the courage to say we were wrong. Things aren't where they want to be. I mean, we all avoid it. For so, so many reasons. I'll tell you about, you know, a, a recent client that I'm starting with who had this sort of thing happen, right? He was a startup founder. They had raised um, some initial capital, three uh, entrepreneurs, and they were building a, a company that involves artificial intelligence. Very hot right now. Very exciting. And they made some progress, but they were getting to that point where the CEO of the company was had that kind of, you know, uh, wartime CEO, if you know that phrase, very like direct, maybe very blunt, was able to raise capital, was able to do a lot of things in the business. But now people were starting to be like, you don't care about me. And I, I liked it when you were out there doing all this stuff. But now that we're sort of stuck and I'm seeing your sort of anger and your um, all these things kind of emerge, like, I don't even know if I want to work here anymore. And so the person I was speaking to was actually not the original CEO. And he said that they had realized that the team was so fed up that many people were planning to leave until he and the other co-founder arranged to ask the CEO to leave. So that's a pretty difficult thing to do, right? To, to sort of ask the, another person that you'd started this company with to leave the company. But, but doing so really and allowed trust to be created in the, in the team, right? They say, wow, they really listened to us. They really responded to our concerns and 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 admitted that you know things probably went a little bit too long in this in this regard. And and I I was just really excited about this because I saw that this was someone who was willing to face reality, who was willing to do what it took to address an issue. And you know we all understand you know you feel some reluctance to kind of push somebody out, but to make that change. And and he saw the results, right? There, there was more engagement. People didn't leave, right? And people were were bought in and willing to continue in this risky endeavor that you know anyone would understand if if you wanted to leave. I love that you're talking about real world consequences of not adapting, of not addressing a new problem as it arises. And there's a lot of research, I think, about not addressing, in this case, it was a person at power, but even in a general sense, what they might call it, the office jerk or the, the cancerous person that's dragging down morale, that if you don't, people will leave. If you don't address the state of the business as ugly as it is, people will start to write a new story with a new organization and a new future because they want the brighter future. But I love talking about accountability when people are actually listened to, they will stay and commit even when things are hard. So let's dive into the meat of your, of your book here, really thinking, all right, so we, we talked about the cost of not doing it, right? There's turnover, there's trust, there's making wrong and chaotic decisions. How do you actually go through it? How do you adapt and lead when things get off track? I mean, I think it it, it comes back to uh, what you knowing yourself, right? I think no, self awareness and and being able to appreciate what strengths you do have, what insights you do have, and putting yourself in the right environment to succeed is so important. I like to say that every person has a shape, and you can adjust your shape a little bit, and you can build new skills to kind of change your shape. But you already start out with kind of a shape, and certain shapes work for certain organizations a pointy place is not going to work in a round you know environment and vice versa and so you have to go and find that and you have to know what your shape is and sometimes it's hard to see 
that phrase, it's hard to read the label from the inside of the bottle, right? We can't always see what our shape is from inside, which is why it's helpful to have a coach, but then to put yourself in that right environment. And the same is true for an organization. You know, an organization, a startup that's like got a lot of creative people and is really in touch with the like cultural zeitgeist might might be not suited for a B2B business where you gotta kind of be a little bit more buttoned up, a little bit more boring. You gotta do the sales process. You're gonna hire salespeople and spend a lot of money on paid advertising. They might be, you know, not going in the right direction because they, they were told that that was the right thing to do when their shape might be more fit for a consumer facing business and vice versa, right? And there are all kinds of different blends of that. So knowing what assets you've built, if you started a company and you've gotten to a certain point, you have certain assets. Maybe the product is really amazing, even though it isn't quite hitting the mark for your current customers. So you need to find different customers who are going to appreciate what you made and kind of move forward with that, right? And you may discover a whole new audience. I think of like Vibram's shoes, you know, like Vibram's shoes, this rubber, you know, and they started with like boats, and like boating, because that was like a, a whole area that was, that made sense. It was like grippy and it was like good for feeling like you're barefoot on your boat, but you got this like kind of rubber sole on. But then like runners and other athletes are starting to, to pick up on this. And so they had to notice that like, hey, we've got this great product. And it turns out there's like a much bigger market over here of runners and other people who want that flat, thin, close to the ground feeling. And so they had to so they had to know their asset and then they had to become observant of the world around them and notice the trends that were happening and spend time talking to those runners, talking to people. And now they have this business that that transcends so many different areas, right? But it started from knowing who you are and being observant. Uh, knowing who you are and being observant. I mean, there's so much data that we could capture from shifting our perspective or taking a broader, big picture view of the marketplace. Said simply, who else has solved your problem or who else might be looking for what you have in a different functionality? I had no idea that that organization started out as something other than footwear. Uh, but I love that idea of like, how, who else could we serve from this? You know, what other purposes exist for our product? That is like the high level of is it aspirational engineering? Is it long-term view of the business? I know that I'm not an expert in this, so I'll stop there. But I love that first piece of like, who do we want to be? Do you think there's a risk that comes with that? You know, do you think that what, how do you think they came or overcame the risk of, well, what do you mean? You're in boats. You right. are in boats. Like what business do you actually have in footwear? You know nothing about that. And so it, it's, it's, um, I think telling your story is after you've sort of been, you know, you know your strengths and you are observant, you have this insight, you explore and you you find traction in this new area. A, a big part of resilience and a big part of pivoting is being able to weave a narrative that people understand. So in this case, with the boat situation, it was still footwear, but it was like boat footwear, a very niche kind of like oh. area, right? Like just number of people who need to buy shoes you know, like this barefoot experience on on the boat right versus running right and sports right that is still a different category yeah. and so you know being able to this is a skill uh, uh to be able to change the narrative or, or or write a bigger story so maybe maybe you know i i don't know this personally but if we take this example you might start by saying oh we make the best you know way for you to experience a boat and then you might say 
You know what? Actually, what we were always about is that barefoot feel or like helping people feel traction and feel connected to their feet and themselves and the world, right? And so we've expanded, which includes that initial thing that you were doing, but now it includes the bigger scope of what's possible, right? The best leaders always tell bigger stories. Apple started out, you know, making desktop computers and then they were making laptops and then they were making phones and now they're making all kinds of things. And along the way, though, we've always sort of felt like, well, this isn't weird for Apple, right? Apple, I I buy it, you know, I buy that they, you know, headphones make sense and they didn't always have a headphone. They didn't always have these things, but they've always told this bigger story of how technology can empower our lives. And that doesn't have to end with a big box that sits on your desk. It can take you in all these different directions. And so telling that story and having the proof points along the way. Anybody can weave a nice sounding story, but being able to anchor around real accomplishments along the way is what gives people the sense that they can trust that story. And so you have to change, grow your story alongside the accomplishments that you have. And so you have to keep your story and your accomplishments in line. As one grows, the other can grow. How do you keep that alignment? Because I think there's in within that you have resistance to change, you have confusion around the strategy, where are we really going? There's an it looks like there's an opportunity within that that you could potentially break trust. So how do you keep that? Yeah. So I mean, one of my other clients was someone who was a, a product leader at, you know, a Series D startup and he wanted to he we he hired me to kind of help him coach his career and help him grow, but we quickly realized that actually he wanted to go on his own. And what he does when he goes on his own is he does uh, what's called category creation or category um, branding and, and redefinition. And he helps companies tell those bigger stories, right? And the way you do that is you you often have to define a new uh, story and you define something new about the world that's going on as well, right? So Vibram's grew not just because they decided that they were, you know, they were putting it on their shoes. But they one referenced individuals. Hey, people are buying our boat shoes and going running with them. Like that's a new thing that's happening. And hey, guess what? Like barefoot running is is really exciting. It's something that people are you know see as a healthy new way to to move and and to be in touch with the ground. And so we're shifting in response to things that are happening outside of us, and of course inside of us. And we said, you know what? And we've made the material thinner. We made it more adaptive and flexible because that's what runners need. And so it's a meeting of that internal uh, changes and, and things, that, the strengths that you have and insights you have with those, we talked about observations in the world, right? And helping bring those to the front. You may not have noticed, but, you know, look around and, and more people are running with these barefoot or these like minimal shoe wear. And we're, we're going to be part of that, right? And now you see the story coming together in a way that feels natural. It's not just something we made up. It's something that's reflected in the world. What advice would you give someone that has done this exploration, has done this curiosity, thinking about what ways we could use this? Okay, I have this new data, but I still really like our original strategy and I still want that. That's my security blanket. What would you give people, what advice would you give people to give them the courage to make that adjustment? Oh man, this one's this one's this is gets right to the heart of it. Um, you are, you know, so tied to, to, to the thing that you already have, right? You, you spend all this time working on it. 
you you really developed it, you believed it, you've been saying it for so long, and now you've got this new thing. And part of it is to be honest with yourself and recognize like, it's one thing if you thought this strategy really was going to work out. And you know, we're just hitting it's a temporary thing. And like, we have reasons to believe we're going to come back. But if you know, in your heart, and you've been looking at this long enough, and you've been working at this for a while, that the chances that we're actually going to get back on track with that strategy and that plan is is coming down every single day. You have to have the courage to believe that stepping into this new direction may not magically immediately result in success, but it's going to get you in a new place where you can make better decisions. If you're trapped with one foot stuck in that other place, you can't adapt to the world, right? It, it gave you a stability for a period of time, but now you got to step forward. This next thing may be it, it may not be it. But once you're in that place and you're fully committed and invested in that new strategy, you can then be freed from the limitations of the old approach. And you can then continue to adapt and trust in yourself that you're going to be able to, from there, find the steps C, D, E, F, G, where G is the real success. So no guarantees, but trust in yourself that you can get there. Yeah. Give yourself that opportunity to visualize it as you were talking about with, you know, whether you would go to a new country, spend some time there, see if you really like it before just completely throwing everything out, just visualize what it could be. But also understand the reality that if you don't adopt and the market conditions keep changing, you risk going out of business, which is the ultimate thing that you probably don't want. Jason, I really appreciate the conversation. I know that your book is going to drop um, very soon. How can our audience get in touch with you? Yeah, so the the best way to get in touch is through my website, jasonshan.com. We're going to have a special URL just for listeners of the podcast. We'll have that set up in the in the show notes. Um, you can find me on on Twitter and LinkedIn at Jason Shen, and then on YouTube where I make some fun long form videos, Coach Jason. Cool. Perfect. Jason, thank you so much for coming in, talking about such an important topic, resilience, owning your own truth, coming back to that reality, admitting you're wrong, preserving that trust, making tough decisions, and also making sure you visualize where you want to go and learn from all that data that we have out there. We just need to take the time to think about it. Thank you so much for coming on The Leadership Habit today to talk about how we can adapt when things get tough. It's been a great conversation. Jen, thank you so much. And thank you for what you do and bringing these ideas and from so many different people out into the world. Thank you so much for listening to today's conversation. There was so much that I loved. The resilience techniques, ugh, we all need them. Life is hard, work is hard. And you can apply this in so many ways of your life. And of course, bringing it back, how do you adapt? It might be coming down to how do I give myself the skills that I need to succeed? And I invite you to check out Crescom.com. We're a global leadership development organization, and we want to help develop you to give you the skills that you need to weather life, work, even when it's hard, even when things get off track. Head on over to Crescom.com, and there you can request a complimentary leadership skills workshop. We would love to come in and empower and build the skills of your team so they can all work better together. And closing, if you know someone, that would enjoy this message, that needs to hear how to adapt because things are hard. Share this podcast episode with them. 
And of course, don't forget to leave us a review on your favorite podcast streaming platform. Until next time, take care.